You're listening to Two Sides of Phi, a podcast that follows two lifelong friends as they seek financial independence and to retire early. I'm Eric, and I'm joined by my friend Jason, who reached Phi in 2020. And this is our story. So Jay, you sent me a text at the end of March. Do you remember what that text said about your net worth? No, I probably told you I was happy because it was up. Yes. 5.4%. Yes, exactly. And then I immediately sent me over to, to uh, do my own math and I realized that my net worth was up as well. And so why nice. do you do a check-in like that? Well, I mean, the net worth is just kind of like, it's, it's just a good, simple check-in, I guess. I mean, I've got a little more elaborate monthly and quarterly check-ins, but that net worth is just like a very simple metric and you can just watch it over time like I've done to date and you know, it gives you some indication of how things are going. High level view of uh, your overall situation. I'm curious to know, yeah. um, you know, I know you have a monthly process, you have a quarterly process. And for me in the business, what gets measured gets managed. And this is a kind of system that I've put in place as well for my personal finances. And I wondered what the distinction is between monthly review, quarterly view. What, are, what do those two things look like? Yeah, I, I think both have elements of tactics, but I think the monthly review might be a little more tactical, um, but it's also really fast, right? Monthly is kind of like checking on the budget. How are things going there? Um, I track my income and that has ramifications on both tax and on ACA subsidies. And I look at my withdrawal rate, right? What's the latest CAPE? Because I, I use that as a metric. Oh, and then that's, on the a, that's on your monthly check-in? Yeah, I do it monthly because, uh, okay. you know, Karsten puts out the new numbers. So I look at that. and I, It's really just a check-in. It's not something that's, you know, very elaborate. Um, but on the quarterly side, I get into the portfolio, right? That's where I need to kind of sweep the dividends out of taxable. Those go into operating, make reinvestment decisions for the retirement accounts. I don't have drip turned on on anything. In other words, no automatic reinvestment of dividends because it could trigger a wash sale rule violation. Um, and then net worth. Uh, so those are the two big things that are in the quarterly review. So I guess for me, in some respects, they're, you know, it's touching the portfolio and this high level view of net worth. That's the biggest difference. Whereas monthly has some of these little tactical things and check-ins. That makes sense. It does. Yeah. You know, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about this, Jay, is just kind of interesting to hear what other people's systems are. Yeah. You know, we talk a lot about the kind of high level stuff and the emotional stuff. And then there's the kind of real tactical stuff that plays into pre-fi and post-fi. And, you know, this is something that I've done regularly for the business. And as I become more invested in the fire movement, I've started thinking about ways to kind of create a better system for me to have a check-in with this, but then also loop my wife in and say, okay, well, you know, these are the things that we should be talking about. This is directionally where we're headed. And I think probably for a lot of people, you know, watching the market on this long downslide and, you know, fears of recession, if we're not already in one, right. you know, you're not looking at that stuff as quite as often. Um, and now that we start to see, maybe things are making a little turn here, you know, the market picked up in Q1, um, kind of fun to dip back into it. <laughs> I was just kind of curious as to the whole, whole kind of overriding process here. Um, and maybe we could step through just the things that you look at during the quarterly review. We're starting with the net worth here. And when we're talking about net worth, we're talking about assets minus liabilities, but we're not including some very key things, right? Well, I think, and we may differ on this point. So my net worth statement uh, really is primarily about the portfolio. Yeah. I do track my home equity in there, and that's mostly because I still have a mortgage, and it's just a tracking item. I don't really think about it other than that. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so 
So basically that means it's all about looking at the portfolio overall, taxable accounts, retirement accounts, and so on. It's How about money, you? Yeah, it's money that I can dedicate toward retirement. It's not, I don't plan to sell the house. It's right. certainly, it's an asset on the balance sheet because it's part of your net worth. But I'm really looking to meet my fine number. I'm looking at assets that I can use to fund my lifestyle. So I'm not looking yeah. at things like my house value. I'm not including cars in there. I'm not including the kids 529s or any of those kind of assets. So it's a, yeah, pretty stripped out version of that. And I think, okay. um, but it's, it's nice. I think, you know, the takeaway for me from doing this quarterly review recently was, okay, net worth is on an up curve. And you can see that, you know, I bought throughout, throughout this downslide in the market and, you know, dollar cost averaging into the market. And I can see that when it starts to turn around, it starts to spring back pretty quickly. So that's encouraging to me. Yeah, for sure. And it's, it's, uh, it's kind of a, this is a good two sides of five moment. So for you, it's kind of like, Hey man, things are on track. It's going up. <laughs> I'm seeing the benefit of all that, you know, kept buying at fire sale prices. For me, on the other hand, it's right, like, yeah. Well, seeing it go up quarter over quarter, more than 5%, it's like, well, obviously I know how safe withdrawal rate kind of thinking goes, but just, you know, you can't help but like be happy when you see like, well, I'm withdrawing below 4%, um, you know, based on current portfolio uh, and markets up over five, like, or excuse me, my portfolio is up over five net of withdrawals right. doing all right. You're right? feeling good about all those T-bills now, right? feeling good. I, I'm always happy with my T-bills. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. So net worth kind of overview picture, like where do you go next? Yeah. So uh, I think for me, the, you know, once I've got kind of all that documentation together and I can just give Lori the 30 second update, that's pretty much all she wants, right? Things sure. are good. Um, then I go into the portfolio work. And so this is the time where, you know, I just open the brokerage site, look where, you know, dividends have issued in the taxable accounts get those out and move those into operating. I'm not gonna reinvest them, right? They've already been taxed as dividends. And so why would I wanna sell extra stuff later to, to meet my sort of cash needs? I can just take those dividends out. So I do that. And then second, in the retirement accounts, uh, the tax deferred and the, uh, the Roth accounts as well, we take those and make reinvestment decisions. That is a quick process, but it lets me do, I don't know, I think of it as like micro rebalancing, um, just to kind of push things in the directions they need to go. Uh, and I don't have that turned on automatically like I did when I was on the upswing, uh, when I was investing for my FI date, because you know now, well, in this environment, you and I have both done some tax loss harvesting over the last year, and I don't want to incur any wash uh, sale rule violations. So it's a pretty straightforward process. Uh, I guess the only other thing I would add in is it's a good chance to remind myself what are the maturity dates on T-bills or CDs that I may have as part of my cash allocation. So I looked at those. This time, they're not coming up until early and mid-May, so nothing to do there. So pretty quick, but it's a nice chance to just check in with the portfolio and make some very small uh, adjustments uh, to my operating cash. How about you? Yeah, so portfolio review is next on the list for me. I'm in there probably more often than you are since I'm making weekly buys and I do that manually. Right. I don't have it set up to automatically invest like I know a lot of people do. Um, I also don't have my dividends reinvesting because I've just been loss harvesting like throughout this past you know year and a half. The other thing that I'm doing is, but I'm looking for rebalancing opportunities. So changing my asset allocation, just making sure we're within bands. Yeah. Um, and you know, this last time that I was in there, uh, I had this uh, muni bond fund that was in my taxable and I realized it had a loss in it. And I was like, oh, this is a good time to kind of shake that loss. My equity allocation was a little bit low since bonds have been, I mean, 
if you have 20% bond portfolio, you're, right. you're starting to earn something now for, which, we is, are. which is nice. Uh, but, but it meant that I, I wanted to buy some equities, um, with, so I sold off some of that and, you know, it's just an, a chance to look for opportunities while you're in the portfolio. And the, the high level of how I do this is I just use, um, it used to be called personal capital. Now it's called empower, right. uh, just kind of transitioned over. It looks the same. Uh, but basically it's a, you know, it's a web tool where you connect all of your accounts up to, and it's a high level look at your asset allocation. So I can look in there and say, Oh, geez, I'm a little overweight on my bond position. And this is what I need to do. Um, you use a spreadsheet to do this though, right? I do. Yeah. So I have, um, I built in the past. Now, I just want to be clear. This is actually very easy to maintain now, but <laughs> I did take some time way back in the early days post RE to basically input all my positions that I have in my brokerage into Google Sheets because with the Google Finance functions, you can pull down pretty current pricing on your assets. And so um, I have basically a model of my portfolio with all the accounts and everything and the right tickers. And it's, I can just get, you know, a within 20 minutes, they say, update on my portfolio. And so while I don't use it to like spy on my portfolio on a daily basis, what it does allow me to do is just quickly jump in and see how my actual asset allocation is tracking versus my targets, my, my yeah. IPS, right? My investing philosophy statement. And so I have that there and yes, that spreadsheet still exists. And then <laughs> twice a year, and I actually love that this is outside of my quarterly process. It's just a distinct little activity that I do in May and in November. So twice a year, I just look at, are my, am I within my targets? Okay, great. Now, how close do I want to get to the ideal for each as part of generating cash? So I can sell out of there, move funds around, um, and make sure that I can get the operating cash I want to maintain my desired about two years cash allocation and stay within balance. But that is all modeled in a spreadsheet and we made available, uh, certainly yeah. you know, yep. a version of that uh, on uh, twosidesofi.com slash rebalancing. But I have a version that's actually integrated with my whole portfolio and uh, <laughs> yeah, that's how I monitor that. I've seen that version, man. That's, uh, I got I got. I'm going to be honest. I got a little intimidated when I looked at that. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, man, when I set it up, I was pretty anxious that I like didn't do it right. And I had like 8,000 little parody checks and things in there. But now I don't have to really think about it. If I, if I, when I do make sales, yes, I have to change my positions in there, but that doesn't take very long. And I just consider it a part of my rebalancing. Yeah. So it gives me the like confidence that I'm doing the right things before I start pulling the triggers on those sales. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just something that's part of my twice annual process. Yeah. What do you, do you check in with your budget at all? I do. So I do that at a much more granular level monthly and it's still not a, a long thing. It takes me about 10 minutes every month to just look at the high level trends. I do it at the end of the month. And then I'd say at the end of the quarter, I do a quick look back and make sure there's no kind of surprises like, you know, spending has started to increase in an area beyond what we expect. Cause right. You can be within your total budget, but certain categories are starting to go. And if that's a surprise, it's a good thing to look at. So it doesn't take me very long. I still use YNAB. You need a budget. So it's quick to just take a look at some of the reports in there and say, yep, things are on track or nope, they're not. Okay. Um, yeah. you know, for example, uh, you know, I realized that I had done a little extra tax planning with a CPA earlier uh, last year. And so I build that against my my line item for income tax return prep. And so when it came to paying my my tax prep bill this year, I was a little light. So I'm going to have to go back in and move a little more money 
to uh, to pay that. But still within my safe withdrawal rate, but it does mean that it's a little higher than I initially had planned. So that's the kind of thing I can uncover when I do that quick review. Sure. Yeah. The, How about you? The budget check-in for I know me. you love budgeting. I mean, the budget check-in for me is just, it doesn't really happen, <laughs> if I'm being honest. I mean, so here's how it goes for me. And, and this is maybe kind of looped in with another aspect of the kind of quarterly review. Um, it, it's really, for me, more about a savings goal. Yeah. So, you know, we set directionally in the beginning of the year what our savings goals want, want to be. And, yeah. you know, there's an investment goal. There's retirement goals and we have an order of operations there you know and then we move from that to we have a vacation sinking fund that's very important for us to fund up sure we're paying for college out of pocket right now and we're still trying to save a little on top of that and so that's part of that savings goal so we have the the first lines of priority are did we meet the savings goals and then okay. what's left over is what we have for expenses and fund money, basically. We know what generally our expenses are. There's not a whole lot of surprises here. We're not big budgeters. And right. so we've just set the spending, the saving priority almost like they are expenses. So I would say that's the level of my budget check-in. With my business, it's a little bit different. You know, right. I'm I'm running the numbers every week because I have to to manage cash flow and things like that. But um, that's that's more of where I'm in tune with, uh, you know, budgets, profit and losses and things like that. And especially Makes on sense. a quarterly basis, I got to start, you know, planning my estimated taxes uh, as a as a business owner. So uh, budgeting wise, man, <laughs> ain't a lot. I will say in the beginning of the year, we we attack the budget, um, you know, and you and I just released an episode on this t discussing this and, right. you know, I looked at things that really jump out. So one thing for us was insurance. Insurance just went crazy for us this past year. I think, you know, we were with Geico. I think Geico did not want to insure our family anymore. They decided we were in the, in a different risk pool than what, what they were going to underwrite. And so they just jacked it up by 40%. So we did oh, some, wow. some shopping around uh, we just had a local broker get us a bunch of prices and we ended up saving about 25% on our insurance costs, which was like massive. Um, so, so that was a big savings. Um, the other thing we did was we started to notice that utilities uh, were creeping up. So here in Maine, yeah, electricity too. is very expensive, um, you know, and I was shocked. My parents actually just moved to Florida and I was looking at their utility rates. It's like nothing. It's like it's free power down there, man. But uh, one of the things that we did was uh, we heat with a heat pump. And so if you get more than 50 percent of your heat with it, heat pump, which is basically electrically generated heat, um, you can you know, qual you qualify for a lower rate. So that was just like an opportunity. And I think yeah. uh, throughout the year, we look for those things. And obviously that has an impact on the budget, but it's not like a, a sole focus for us. No, I get it. And, you know, for, for, for me, I think I view it, it's much more of a tracking activity than an explicit budgeting allocation activity, which I know for a lot of people, that's why they use software like YNAB. They really need that level of control. At this yeah, stage, yeah. for me, it's about keeping a view on things. So I noticed the kind of trends you're talking about because we've found some too, right, with uh, the cost of natural gas for you know okay. nationwide. That's not just for me. All right, went up a lot. Yes, we're on a budget plan, but I can see those rates going up and, you know, we're going to have to make adjustments when our budget plan hits its next kind of check-in period. But, you know, just keeping an eye on that helps give me confidence that, you know, we're, you know, we're on top of things. We know the trends and if we had to make changes, we could, but I, I get your point, right? I mean, I, I, when I was on the five path, I, I chose to pay myself first and then I didn't really think about 
what the kind of categorization was beyond that. As long as the saving goals are met, you're doing the right thing, right? Yeah, and I think you know people who are at different stages in this journey, you may find a budget more or less useful. Totally. I mean, you know, I I would I would argue that someone in your position, post fi has less of a need for a budget, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, maybe you'll phase that out at a certain point. And we, we kind of talked I about that so. in that episode. And for me, I, you know, I spoke about this too. Um, I use a budget to set direction and courses and, you know, as a plan to execute, but it's not something I need to keep me on track. And if yeah. you're someone who is, you know, much tighter in terms of expenses and, you know, how everything interlocks, in your financial life, then a budget's probably gonna be a lot more useful to you. But uh, yeah. in terms of quarterly check-in, that's kind of what I do. Hey, Eric here with Two Sides of Fi. If you've been listening to Jason and I on the podcast, you may not be aware that we also have a YouTube channel. And quite often, we have supporting graphics, charts, information, and even a few outtakes that don't fit well in an audio format. So if you're into that kind of thing, you can find us on YouTube at Two Sides of Fi. I think if you look at anyone who's conducting a quarterly review for, let's say, a business, you're probably going to have a debt review in there somewhere too. Is this some part of your process, or is it more like that's kind of the the over the, the high level net worth? Yeah, I agree at the value of it, but for me, the only debt we're carrying is our mortgage, and so that's on a path. It's something I see in my net worth statement. I don't really think about it as long as I'm meeting my obligations. And I guess I would sure would know if I wasn't meeting them because I'd be getting some knocks on my door. How about you? <laughs> I mean, no debt other than we have monthly credit card debt. So we're using our cards to get cash back essentially, right. you know, same here, or we're using them for airline miles or something like that. You know, we have a couple of different cards that we use. So we booked some travel recently and, you know, we use the American Airlines card for that since you get free bags and, you know, you get these other perks that are associated exactly. with it. So we're just, we kind of have some of, we use this debt in, in a strategic way. And then what I wasn't doing previously was, you know, we had a cashback card and I just wasn't keeping a close eye on it. And so now every quarter I'll just go and move, move the cash over into the, the spending account, you know, use that to, to pay bills. There's no, you're not getting any sort of premium for leaving it locked away in the, in the credit cards company's hands. So um, we've just kind of incorporated that into our process. Yeah, same here. It's on my list too. Uh, most, you know, I'd say 80 plus percent of our spending goes on one Citibank 2% back cash card. And yeah. so I just sweep that money and just pay it towards that month's uh, credit card statement actually. And so then I don't have to think about it. It's done. And uh, yeah, it's just on the checklist. And then I have a couple of specialized cards, as you mentioned, for airline travel. Or also I have one that's better for international use because it has no foreign uh, exchange fees and also kind of helps waive some of the um, uh, insurance coverage for car rentals outside of the U.S. I think people who do carry debt month to month, this could be a helpful thing to automate. You know, we talked a little yeah. bit about automation previously with investments. I don't personally automate that, but, um, you know, automating the debt payments can be a particularly helpful thing if you're trying to move that needle. Yeah, honestly, for one of my moves, uh, actually in response to one of our, early, our much earlier conversations more than a year ago, all my cards are on auto pay except my main one. And that's just because I like having a view on it, um, you know, a couple times a month uh, okay. before I pay it. But I've actually thought about just for simplicity's sake now that I'm much more comfortable. And that's kind of a theme I, I've had in my head that when I was kind of thinking about this conversation today is how much have I gone from like very like detailed, Hands like on. eyes on it, hands-on yeah. process to like 
simplifying over time, you know, and that's another one. And I think some of the things I do monthly, I can probably move to quarterly, uh, if not now soon, and then maybe some of those things just go away. But you know, that's just how I'm wired and not to say there's, that's the only way. Yeah. Yeah. The next one on my list was savings goals. And, you know, we kind of touched on this a little bit. Um, you aren't really doing, I mean, you have some sinking funds. Do you think of that? like savings or are you just, uh, is this just a mental ca accounting exercise? Yeah, it is a mental accounting, okay. just like, you know, making contributions to, you know, our Roth IRAs is just kind of moving money that we have, uh, you know, from ver by virtue of like, or having these fun jobs, you know, so no, we don't have explicit savings goals. It's just making sure that we, if we're good to making contributions to the HSA Roth IRAs that we do those. Uh, but no, otherwise it's pretty simple at this point. I imagine it's certainly something you have to think about a lot more at every quarterly and probably one of the things you look forward to. Yeah. I mean, one of the things this year that I'm kind of excited about, one of the perks of getting older is uh, we turned 50 this year, both of us. So, you know, we it unlock will. the uh, catch up contribution. We can go up to 7,500 in our Roths uh, and we have to do that by the back door. Um, and then with my solo 401k, I can do up to what I think, uh, 73,500 it's that's limited by what the, the business earns. So, you know, it's not like I can just on, on, uh, end of January, just throw right. 70, 73 grand in there, but, um, that's a pretty big unlock. Um, so that's a nice, nice thing, but yeah, we have an order of operations. We're obviously doing pre-tax stuff first, we're going to do our Roth uh, conversions following that, and then we'll contribute to taxable accounts uh, following that, just in terms of a, a saving strategy. Um, and then we are, I mentioned this earlier, we're saving for vacation into our vacation fund every um, two weeks. We put, a, we make a contribution to that. And at the same time, we have a college fund. So we didn't start saving for our kids' education uh, smartly like you did, uh, much earlier. So, uh, we came to the party late and so now we're having to kind of pay out of pocket for college expenses. So we're, we have a, a saving strategy worked out there. And actually, you know, anyone who's in this position too, um, currently, you know, laddering T-bills, kind of a cool strategy is something yeah. to leverage here. Possibly we're talking, you know, Q1 of 2023. So if you're watching this in the future, that may not apply, but just keep your eye on interest rates. You know, we've ditched any high yield savings account in favor of just a treasury money market fund, you know, just a generic sweep fund actually in uh, Vanguard is paying, you know, four and a half right. percent right now, something like that. So it's pretty incredible. And you don't have to kind of move your money around when they cut back the teaser rate. So um, that's something that we've been doing a lot now with our, with our savings. Yeah. It makes good sense. Now do those, those conversions and other kind of investment activity is those are happening. Oh, those are ongoing or there are all, those are also attached to these quarterly financial reviews and activities. They're ongoing. Um, but you know, I, I guess we, we want to check in with those, and honestly, we check in with the monthly. Um, yeah. Okay. But in terms of, you know, I'm doing a lot of uh, accounting for the business and at the end of the quarter. So obviously it's an obvious point to check in for Laura and yeah. I to say, okay, did we meet these savings goals? And if we didn't, like, oh, so how are we going to course correct? Like, what does that mean? Um, and so, yeah, that's just the kind of check-in process that we have. Okay. But you, you don't discuss this with, with Lori at all, do you? She doesn't want to hear about the budget monthly. I mean, yeah. certainly if I see something going out of bounds or, you know, we're not able to fund the things that we've agreed we want to fund, we right. would talk about it. And we yeah. have done that. It's more ad hoc. But after the net worth kind of roll up, I do give her 
the kind of you know elevator pitch about it, and that's perfect. <laughs> she she wants to hear that. It's like good to know. Hey, it's up more than five percent. Awesome. Like that's great. That's kind of the level that we go into. We don't sit down with the spreadsheet and go through kind of line by line how yeah, things yeah. are going. Sure. I think I'm, I did let her know, like, oh, by the way, we have this much equity in the house now. She's like, that's cool. Uh, but yeah, that's also a little different for us. We don't know how long we want to hold on to this house. Is it 10 years? Is it 30 years? Is it, you know, shorter than that? We don't actually know. So I think, I think she would agree. I didn't ask her this question, but I feel like it's just kind of nice, like having that, like making a mental note of like, oh, we have this much equity in the house now. If we wanted to like cut and run uh, <laughs> based on what we think we could get for the house, like this is what we would be dealing with. Okay. But that's kind of the level of it. It's not, yeah. that's not really detailed. The, the other thing that um, the last thing on my list that I do is tax planning. So, and obviously first quarter here, you know, I mean, I don't know if you filed your taxes yet, but I try and get mine filed as soon as possible. Yeah, yeah. I did. Okay. Yeah. Um, do I run a profit and loss for the business? You know, we got to make sure we have enough cash in the, in the bank to, to cover the taxes and, you know, any other tax planning that you had. I make my solo 401k contributions throughout the year and I try and front load them. And I know you, were are you do you have a solo k for your i do yeah i started one for the llc at the end of last year i actually still haven't funded it for i didn't do anything for 2022 contributions yet okay so yeah you still have up until the you you got a few more days to uh (laughs) i do and i know what i can contribute right i know what you know was left after the roth contribution um but uh, i just haven't pulled the trigger on it yet yeah that's the complicated thing for me is uh you know there's the qualified business income deduction. I mean, you, you are now preparing taxes for other people. So, you know, on a schedule C, all the things that uh, play into the math of this whole thing. So if you think you're going to be close to any kind of cutoff limits for your, you know, net business profits pays to wait. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Over contribute, or you have to recharacterize the contribution. I've, I've been there before. Uh, That's, that's not a fun process, but no, it's one of the reasons I still pay somebody for, for tax prep. Uh, It's just, uh, something maybe I'll take back someday, but right now I actually did it kind of in parallel this year for a while. And then yeah. I hit a point where I was like, I don't really know what to do with this. I got like 90% done. I'm like, mm, not really sure what the right way to deal with this is. And then it came in and I'm, I'm sure the refund was bigger than, uh, it would have been on my own. Uh, <laughs> this is last year was year nine for my business. This is year 10. So year nine, I finally cut it razor thin, man. I, I, I almost got it right. <laughs> The, nice. year, the year prior is like, I mean, if your income is, is lumpy as it can be with a small business, oh yeah, you know, you're not always going to get it right. And so I started using this, uh, actually pretty awesome little spreadsheet that, uh, helped me do the computations for Qubit and, you know, all of my schedule C stuff very accurately. So I was pretty happy with the way it all turned nice. out, but, uh, yeah, you don't want any surprises at the end of Q1, man. <laughs> it's like, no, especially when you're heading into a recession, like, <laughs> You don't want to be left with holding onto a big tax bill. But uh, do you, did you have anything else in your your quarterly roll up? No, it's a it's pretty basic process, right? As you've seen. I, I mean, I, I I guess it struck me when we talked to Fritz Gilbert that time more than a year ago, actually, when he told us about how much time or how little time he spends on his um, financial processes throughout the year. Uh, and now that I've done it and tallied them up. I actually think I'm doing pretty well. I mean, that monthly process is about 30 minutes and that quarterly process is an hour to an hour and a half, depending upon that quarter's portfolio complexity. That feels pretty good to me. I don't feel like I'm spending a lot of time on it. Um, And I think I've gotten, I've started to reduce some of those other ancillary activities that might count towards that total outside of those specific processes. But no, that's really it. I don't know. 
anything you left on, on the table? No, man. Nope. I think it's just nice to see other people's processes. And uh, we didn't talk about your crypto holdings bouncing last night. Did you see Doge? Uh, Elon Musk changed the uh, Twitter logo to uh, Doge. No, I didn't. Oh, well, you got to check your Doge portfolio, man. <laughs> Time to fire up my cold storage and look at my pittance of uh, right ETH and uh, Dogecoin. I think it went from $0.07 cents a coin to $0.09 cents a coin. Whoa, man, that's huge. <laughs> I really got to look. It's going to the moon next. Can't wait. It's amazing, yeah. Hey, so I wanted to ask you, um, as you're tracking income, and the interface with ACA, you know, you're trying to qualify for, you know, premium tax credits here for under the ACA, right? Yeah. How does that work? How are you, what's your review process for that? Sure. And it might be a little overbuilt right now, but this is a good example of an area where I feel like a little more scrutiny is good for now and I can always ease off later. So uh, January a year ago, I put in place this process where uh, simple spreadsheet, no surprise, I just track the different income sources we have. And so, you know, both Lori and I have this, you know, once a week fun job, her at the brewery, me at the winery tasting room. Um, there were some other side hustle income that uh, we used to have. Lori used to tutor. Um, so that impact last year went away this year. Um, and then there's the bulk of it, you know, things like dividends and capital gains that are realized through sales of equities. So I just have all this stuff in a spreadsheet, part of my monthly process. I look at it and that lets me kind of know where things are going. And that can be helpful from a tax planning perspective, but also from a perspective of, well, how am I doing versus what I calculated as my likely income for ACA subsidies? Because if I end up well under that, well, there's maybe opportunity there uh, for Roth conversions or other things that generate taxable income, yeah. right, that increase AGI or, or MAGI in this case for ACA. Or am I headed you know, north of where I want to be? Um, and is that going to have implications on, again, conversion strategy or ACA subsidy reductions? And so it's something that's not a very – it's not super active. I just have to plug in the kind of monthly – income additions and just keep an eye on it throughout the year. In year one, I did watch it much more closely, sent some questions to the CPA I work with to make sure we were kind of on track for what we thought we'd be. Um, this year, I think it's going to be a little lighter touch, but I am still tracking it. Uh, but I'm feeling a lot more confident now that I have a full year under my belt. Maybe it's something that would go away. But, you know, in the interest of like just knowing how I'm doing with respect to my health insurance kind of premium tax credits, uh, for me, it gives me a lot of confidence that there's not going to be a big surprise. I think Q3 uh, is going to be the most important, though. I mean, Q1, mm, of course, you got to track it, but Q3 yeah. is going to be the most important, right? 100%. I also feel like for my the way my brain works, I feel like it must be easier to just plug this stuff in as I go versus you know, three quarters later, try to go back and figure it out. And so I think that's the logic I use in like doing it monthly because yeah. I feel like the few minutes is worth it. And what you have interest income in there as well, right? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So the interest income from from banking goes in there as well. All yeah, all your T bills. My T bills, uh, the massive amounts of money the show brings in, all goes in. It all goes in there. <laughs> I, I'm. It's curious. You don't have a Roth conversion strategy really ripping right now. Yeah, it, it's not like this uh, slam dunk in terms of just the way that my asset locations yeah. are built out. I don't, you know, many people have this massive 401k or, you know, traditional IRA that they're worried about when they hit the age of RMDs, it's now going to push them into a much higher tax bracket and really change the equation for them. That doesn't appear to be the case for me. So it's more about, you know, just kind of trying to predict, well, 
how is tax legislation going to change over time? Should I shove as much money as I can into a Roth, knowing it's going to increase my tax rate now, uh, which could have implications on my ACA premium uh, reduction? <laughs> you know, it's a crystal ball. Uh, my CPA would say the same thing, like it's not a clear case. So you've got to kind of just decide what you want to do. And so that's how I feel now. And so it's not something it's uh, I have to do something about today, but it's also something I know I can do something about later on. As we sit here uh, in April of 2023, we've still got you know a number of years between 50 and uh, 75. Dude, we just when, have to wait for AI to uh, catch up to us, which is going to be in a few months, given the pace of uh, innovation happening here. I, I, yeah. I texted you a little bit this morning, but I was querying uh, ChatGPT on uh, Roth conversion strategies, and it's uh, still not quite up to snuff in fact it's, it's pretty pretty wrong but yeah. dude it's gonna be it's gonna catch up so quickly i mean it i is. promise you this if we have the same conversation next year it's gonna have a wildly different take on a, a proper conversion strategy and it's that this is this may put a few financial advisors out of out of a job it may i think you know if nothing else the uh the folks who do kind of advice only stuff are they going to be better off or worse off with the increased AI for stuff like this? I don't know, because the market's been trending so heavily towards them for great reason, but I don't know. I, for one, look forward to a day when I can be even lazier about staying on top of my <laughs> financial processes. Not work I have to do. It's more time for me to whittle and do whatever I want to spend my time model on. Railroading. Probably, model no, railroading. Model rocketry. Was ah, your... that's what I was going to say. Let's yeah. go back to those giant rockets again. Giant. They don't have to be giant, man. Why, why are you obsessed with the giant thing? I don't know, because I, I've been doing the, the small, the normal scale SDS model rockets as long as you have, <laughs> you know, freaking so, more than 30 years. What was that first one? The Scout? The Scout 2? Oh, the Scout and the Alpha 3. Those are the biggies. Yeah. You know, you didn't you didn't start with the the, the big Bertha or whatever the, the four stager. Is that the one you could put the <laughs> the gerbil inside of? No, it's not. Uh, that's the payloader. I actually have one of those, uh, but they uh, they recommend you do not put uh, those kinds of animals in them. We we put maybe beetles in them that seem to go okay. I seem to remember some diagram in the instructions that was like it showed a little gerbil inside with a little X on it. It's like, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go in the garage and look. I don't know if I saved the little pamphlet that comes with it, but I'm certain you shouldn't do that. But, uh, <laughs> I'm certain you yeah, I think we put some, when our then like five year old uh, was showing how to do it. It was like, yeah, I think we launched some candy the first time. We're like, all right, it came oh, back. Please. Okay. Then we, then we put a beetle in there. Yeah. Beetle I'm, came back. Dude, okay. I, I seem to remember you putting a frog in there. No, I did not. That is untrue. Especially a frog. My gosh, the the love of amphibians and reptiles in our now teenager. I don't think that would have been allowed. All right, dude. Well, thanks for uh, opening your books and uh, sharing your process with us. Likewise, it's uh, and the aspect of the business that makes it that much more interesting for me. I, I didn't have the, the only business I've ever had has been since I retired. So, yeah, that's that's cool. Appreciate it. Yeah, man. All right. Join us as the conversation continues next time on Two Sides of Fi. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider rating it at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. For show notes, resources, and links to the video version, please check out our website at twosidesoffi.com. Thank you.